Turn our Bibles tonight to Psalms chapter number 84. Psalms chapter number 84. Man, what a blessing to be in the house of God. Psalms chapter number 84. And I appreciate the Lord meeting with us this morning. Praise His name. Amen. Anything good that come out of it, it was the Lord. Amen. But He's a good God. That shouldn't surprise us. Even one ounce. Psalms chapter 84. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down to the end of this psalm, verse number 12. Beginning in verse number 1, Psalms 84, verse number 1. The Word of God says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, look upon the face of thine anointed. For the day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in Thee. Let's pray. Father, we love You tonight. Thank You for letting us be here in this place. I'm conscious of Your presence, God. Uh, Lord, I don't deserve to be in Your presence. I don't deserve to preach. But Lord, I'm thankful that You've given me opportunity to do both tonight. And I pray that Lord, we'd not shame you. I pray that we'd not grieve you in anything that is said or done tonight. Lord, I pray that we would have receptive and open hearts to the truth of thy word. Teach us, Lord. We need to be taught. Teach us your word, Lord. Teach us more of yourself. Lord, I don't know the heart's condition of any person here, but you know the heart of every person here. If there's any that are lost, show them that need. Lord, any that are backslidden, reclaim them. Lord, any that are discouraged and disheartened, I pray that Lord, You, the lifter up of our head, would encourage them tonight. And Lord, if there's any sin in our lives, I pray You'd expose it to us. That You'd shine the light of Scripture on it. That the Holy Ghost would name it clearly in our heart and in our ears. Lord, that You'd deal with us according to Your will. Father, we love You tonight. Thank You for loving us. Bless Your Word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I love this psalm. I'm particularly struck by three verses that are found in this chapter. And you may have picked up on a strain or a theme found in it. I don't know if you noticed it, but I did as I was reading it. Notice with me verse number 4. The Bible says this, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, say law. Verse number 5 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Then down in verse number 12, the psalmist says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. 
I don't know if you notice there's a theme in this psalm, and that theme is the blessed life. I say, preacher, what is a blessed life? Well, I began to think about what it means for your life to be blessed. I think we all want a blessed life. Don't you think so, Brother Kerry? Don't you think so? Uh, why don't you come pray with this brother? Would you do that? Thank you. I think we all need and want and desire a blessed life, don't you? I want my life to be a blessing to others, but I want my life to be blessed and favored by God. Amen? And what does it mean to have a blessed life? The very first time the word blessed is found in your Bible is actually when the Lord is in the act of creation and He steps back and He looks at the things that have been created and the Bible says He blessed them. But as we read the psalmist's statements about a blessed life in this chapter, I'm struck by a lot of misnomers people have about what it means to be blessed. That's a word you hear all the time, isn't it? Blessed, blessed, blessed. People walk around, they've got it written on their shirts, they have it on stickers on their car. Uh, But you know, being blessed or having a blessed life is not just a matter of accident or incident. When we read our Bible, we find that Some of the common misconceptions people have around being blessed are entirely wrong. A blessed life, and I jotted down two thoughts here. I'd say, number one, a blessed life is not a matter of preferential treatment. Say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, some folks think other folks are blessed because God loves them more. I'm glad Calvary settled it in my heart that God loves me. Amen. I'm glad Calvary settled in my heart and mind that the Lord loves me no matter what I go through, no matter what I experience, no matter what I face. I can rest in the reality that we have a loving God and that He loves me. Did it ever occur to you that God loves you as much as anybody He's ever loved? And when we look at people's lives who enjoy what we would call the blessings of God, we can rest in this truth and reality. If God's blessing their life, it's not because He loves them more than He loves us. Because He loves us every bit as much as He loves them. Some people would say that being blessed is a matter of preferential treatment. But then I would say this. There are some folks that see blessing as a matter of personal merit. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, some folks think we earn the blessings of God. I'll tell you this, man. Sometimes I just have to throw my head back and laugh at Christians. You know, truth of the matter is this. You don't, uh, God didn't, uh, don't owe you a thing. God hadn't done anything in your life because you've earned it. God hadn't done anything in your life because you deserve it. God hadn't done anything in your life because He owes it to you. One of the fascinating things to me about the modern charismatic gospel prosperity gospel movement is this naive notion that we could ever do anything that would earn the blessing of God. Let me tell you something. You can't pray well enough to get God's blessing. You can't serve hard enough to get God's blessing. You can't give deep enough to get God's blessing. Everything God's ever done for you and I, He's done as a matter of grace. And it's not been because we've earned it. It's just been because He's that gracious of God. But some folks have the idea, well, preacher, if I work hard enough, God will bless me. You couldn't work hard enough for God to bless you. And so we are left then asking this question, What then is it that procures the blessing of God in our life? And I think we have a little idea of it here in our text. I would say it this way. Being blessed or enjoying the blessing of God. It's not a matter of preferential treatment. It's not a matter of personal merit. But rather it is a matter of living a life of obedience to God's word. Such that God can bless your life. 
and that you share in the blessing of living for Him. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, living for Him is a blessing in and of itself. You ain't, been, you ain't had a blessed life if you ain't ever lived for God. Now listen, you may have so many zeros on the end of them numbers in your bank account, you've lost count of them. You may live in a house big enough to swallow up most people's houses ten times over. You may drive a car so fancy that it talks to you and tells you what to do and where to go. But at the end of the day, none of that is really enjoying the blessing of God. If you ain't lived for Him, you ain't enjoyed the blessing of God. But then I would also say that many of those things we associate with the blessings of God are not the result of anyone earning them. God desires to pour those blessings out upon every one of His children. But here's the truth of the matter. You know this to be true. You probably experienced it as a parent. When my child's in trouble, I can't be good to him the way I want to be good to him. I can't reward him the way that I want to reward him. I can't bless him the way that I want to bless him. It's not because I'm angry. It's not because I resent him. It's not because I'm spiteful. Not even because I'm trying to coerce him. But because my blessing upon a disobedient son would be an endorsement of that disobedience. So when we come to this passage of Scripture, here's two things we learn. We learn that when a man lives close to God, that's a blessing in and of itself. But we also learn that in our relationship with the Lord, if we situate ourselves such that God can, with clear conscience, bless us, God will absolutely bless our lives, for He desires to bless us in the first place. With that in mind, I want to preach to you on this thought, three keys to a blessed life, but we're only going to get to one of them. I hope you only brought one lock to unlock, because we're only going to get one key tonight. We may, with the Lord's help, get to more of them here in the future, because I want to preach on the first part of this thought. Three times in our text, the psalmist describes what a blessed man's life is like. And I want us to notice the first one in verse number four. It's this. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. When I read Psalms 84, I read about a blessed man. And you say, preacher, why is he blessed? I'll tell you why he's blessed. He's blessed because he gets to dwell in God's sanctuary. Can I just, let me just make a few statements and I promise I'll preach to you. Can I tell you, listen, all the blessings of my life have come from me being in church. I mean, my best friends have come from me being in church. My greatest memories have come from me being in church. My greatest material blessings have come from me being faithful in the house of God. I'll tell you this, my greatest heartaches have come times when I've not been obedient to the Lord and been faithful in His house. And so, listen, you may look at it, and it may look like a mystery to you. You may look at people's lives and say, well, preacher, I'd just love to have the blessing of God on my life like they have on their life. But I'm here to tell you tonight, it ain't no mystery. And the first thing you need to do is commit yourself to stay in church if you want the blessing of God in your life. I noticed three things in our text. Notice them with me, and we'll be done tonight. Go back with me to verse number 1. This statement in verse 4 does not come out of nowhere. In fact, the psalmist has been relishing in and rejoicing in his access to the house of God. Hey, it's a privilege to get to go to church, man. One of these days, hey, we may have to learn by hateful personal experience that it's not always something that can be guaranteed to us to go and to worship in the freedom that we have. I'll tell you something, America failed the test. When the government said, quit having church, America quit having church. 
And listen, you can get mad at me for what I'm about to say, but I mean, I heard people my whole life, I'm talking about 20, 30 years, I heard people say, if the government ever tells us to not have church, we're just going to tell them to pound sand, we're going to keep serving God, we're going to keep going on for the Lord. And then the moment the government came along and said, shut your doors, they shut their doors. We failed the test as America. We failed the test as Christianity in the West. What a tragedy it is. I have a hard time believing my soul. I have a hard time believing people that would say, well, preacher, we'd brave a martyr's death. Wouldn't brave a germ for him. You say, well, preacher, but it's dangerous. <laughs> Walking outside's dangerous. Everything's dangerous in life. Life is dangerous. But we're just going to give up, quit, pack it all in and, and sew it up and say, well, we're done. No. No, listen, I'm telling you this, that in your life, if you want the blessing of God, you're going to have to be faithful to the house of God. I'm not here to beat nobody up. You're here on a Sunday night. I should have preached that crowd here this morning. Text them line by line what I'm saying tonight, all right? But the psalmist has learned this secret that if he'll stay faithful to the house of God, it'll bring the blessing of God in his life. And he's been rejoicing in this truth. He begins in verse number 1 saying this, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul long, that's strong language, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. And then with even stronger language, he says this, My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Say, so, preacher, why is he blessed? Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons. Notice, number one, his reliance on the sanctuary. Going to the house of God wasn't a casual endeavor for him. It wasn't flip it. It wasn't take it or leave it. It wasn't maybe we will, maybe we won't. But the psalmist, when he describes his relationship to the house of God, he describes it as the very water that he drinks, as the air that he breathes, as the food for his body. He describes it as that which is the very heartbeat of his soul. It's not something that's just incidental or casual. It's not something that if he can pencil it in, he's going to do. But he's describing it as something that is essential to his everyday life. I notice three things here. Notice number one, he loves the sanctuary. I like how he says this, how amiable. We don't use that terminology a lot nowadays, but you know what it means? It means beloved. In fact, it don't just mean beloved, it means well-beloved. Here's a boy that enjoyed going to church. Can I tell you something? I enjoy going to church. I don't know why. Listen, I don't know why people would stay in church if they hate it. And I don't know why people would want to go to church and hate it. Man, we ought to enjoy going to the house of God. It ought to be something that's not just done out of duty, but done out of delight. Not something that's not just, not, not just something we do in responsibility, but something we do in rejoicing. And I'll tell you this, if you hate going to the house of God, there's something wrong in your soul. There's something wrong in your heart. There's something wrong in your life. It's time to stop and examine and look at yourself and ask yourself, what is it that I hate about going to the house of God? Because it's not a normal, normal disposition for a believer to have. We ought to enjoy going to church. Now, I understand this. Hey, sometimes it can be hard to go to church. One thing about going to church is you're going to be around people. Some people can't handle it. 
And when you're around people, you're going to bump into each other. You're going, you're going, people are going to say things. They're going to do things. People are going to upset you sometimes. And I've always thought it was funny. Think about these people, the home church crowd. You, you know, the, the, this home church crowd. And, uh, the, they think they, that with the home church, they think they finally found a church they can go to. They can get along with people. And then half the time, what happens? Well, they get out of the will of God. It blows up their marriage. They found out they couldn't even get along with the people they went to home church with. Truth of the matter is this. Hey, listen, in our heart, the reason we love one another is not because it's always easy to do so. It's not because people never hurt you. It's not because people never wound you. But it's because not that we necessarily always love everybody we go to church with. It's the one that we go to church for that we love. And the psalmist, man, he's not going begrudgingly. He loves the sanctuary. I notice not only does he love the sanctuary, he longs for it. Verse 2 says, This my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. Probably the psalmist has in mind here the idea of his own necessary food and sustenance. He's describing someone when deprived of a matter that finds themselves craving, desiring, obsessing, longing, and even weakening in the absence of whatever that matter is. For him, I'll tell you what it is, it's going to church. It bothers me that Christians today don't need church. It doesn't bother me as a pastor. It doesn't bother me as someone trying to build a work. It bothers me as a believer. Ah, now, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I learned a long time ago that this thing ain't about just putting bodies in pews. If it was, there's, there's easier, more effective ways to do it than to do what we're doing. So you understand my, my spirit tonight in saying that my attitude is not a matter of, well, we got to push and pump the numbers and we got to get the crowd in, preacher, and we got to, that's not what I mean. I mean, there's something wrong when people can miss and they don't miss it. Oh, there's going to be times in your life, hey, I wasn't at church last Sunday. It might, me and my family was sick. I was talking to Karen Colbert on the phone. She said, we was out the week before that. And, and, and she said, you was out this week. I said, yeah, one of these days we'll go church together again. <laughs> and uh, there's times you, you'll providentially be hindered and missed. And I'll tell you this, if you're sick, don't come in here coughing on me. Amen. Uh, you stay home, I'll pray for you, all right? Uh, we're not being stupid and we're not being silly. There's times you cannot be there, but my problem is not when they... Hmm, my problem is not when you miss. My problem is when you don't miss it. There's times you're going to miss, but you ought to miss it when you miss. And the psalmist, when he finds himself at a place in life, he's not being able to go in and to worship. It's not something that he's flipping about. It's not something that he's casual about. But it's something that he feels a deep, abiding longing, a gaping hole in his life, in his soul. And he says, all I want is to get back in God's presence. Something's deeply wrong when we don't care anymore. When it doesn't bother us, when it doesn't hurt us, when we don't find something missing. And I'm going to tell you something. If you can miss and it don't feel like something missing is, is missing, church has not been big enough in your life. You listening to me? If you can miss and it don't feel like something's missing, church has not been big enough in your life. It ought to be when you miss that you don't know what to do with yourself. We were sitting at home last Sunday and uh, you say, Preacher, didn't you tune in somewhere online? No, because I don't like any of them guys. We just sat at home and was carnal, watched gun smoke, amen. <laughs> 
But Marshall Matt preached a good message, amen. The good guys won, the bad guys lost, amen. And, uh, but it felt weird. I mean, it felt strange. I remember looking at my phone, looking at my clock is Sunday and I don't know if my body knew. I don't know if my mind knew. I don't know if my heart was just smitten, but I, I just felt weird, man. I just felt out of place. I felt like I don't know why I'm here and why I'm not there. And, and it just occurred to me. It dawned on me all of a sudden my whole life was out of joint and out of kilter in that moment. Why? Because I wasn't where I longed to be. And I'll tell you this, man. You say, preacher, I want a blessed life. Well, learn to love church. And sometimes you gotta learn to love it. Because your flesh don't want to love it. Learn to love it. He longs for it. But then I notice this. He lives by the sanctuary. He says this. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Now, why was church so important to him? I'll tell you exactly why. Because it had been a big part of his life. We understand. We read through this passage of Scripture. And uh, we don't know exactly who the human penman is that pin this down. We're told only that it's a psalm for the sons of Korah. But it's apparent whoever this is, he's not unfamiliar with the house of God. In fact, his whole life has been centered and based around it. And that's the reason whenever he cannot be there, he describes himself as feeling weak and diminishing in his condition. I, I want to raise my family such that, that if we can't be in church, they feel like something's wrong. I'm going to tell you something, and all my my kids, all their friends are at church. All my friends are at church. All of the people I love and cherish and that are precious to me, they go to church. And they're a part of my church family. I have very, very few friends and very, very few associations outside of the house of God. You say, preacher, why is that? One, because it's safe. Now, I'm not saying you can't get hurt in the house of God. And I'm not saying there can't be wicked people infiltrate the house of God. But generally speaking, you're around people that love the Lord. And people that love you and people that desire the best for you. And our whole life is church. Our whole life. And I'm not saying we don't have hobbies outside of it. I'm not saying we don't have activity outside of it. I'm saying all those things orbit around this. You know what your kids need? They need church to be the main thing. Not just a thing, but the main thing. Say, preacher, can't they play t-ball? Sure, that can orbit around church. Preacher, can't they have friends other places? Sure, that can orbit around church. But the heartbeat of your life, you ought to live by the sanctuary. It ought to be the breathing substance of your life is your relationship to the house of God. Preacher, I want a blessed life. Well, learn to rely on the sanctuary. Let it not be a casual, flippant, passing relationship, but let it be the very substance of your life. He's blessed because of his reliance on the sanctuary. Then look at verse 3. Beautiful picture in verse 3. Psalmist says, Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Now, in those opening statements, this sounds entirely disconnected. But can I remind you that particularly during the time of David, before Solomon had built a temple and they worshipped in the tabernacle, but even still so after Solomon's temple was built, much of the 
tabernacle and the temple were an open air space. And the psalmist is sitting there one day and he's observing the worship in the tabernacle or in the temple. And he looks over and he sees by the brazen altar that a little bird has gone and built a nest somewhere close to. And the Holy Ghost pricks his heart and he says this, you know, that sparrow hath found an house, that swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Preacher, I want a blessed life. I mean blessed like the t-shirts they sell at Walmart, blessed. I want a blessed life, preacher. Blessed like the little old lady at the drive-thru that always blesses my heart. Blessed, preacher. How can I be blessed? Well, the first is you're going to have to rely on the sanctuary. But number two, I see his refuge in the sanctuary. You see, the psalmist is making an application of a truth that he's observing in the natural world. And he's recognizing this, man, there's even a place for a little sparrow in the house of God. And in that, he reveals two things. Number one, that the sanctuary is a protective place. He describes it as being a place where no predator could get. The sparrow may be able to alight herself there by the altars, but no predators would be able to find their way in through all those people. And so she has taken refuge in that place, and she is raising her young in the place where God dwells. Oh, my soul, you say, preacher, how can I have a blessed life? Well, stay in church. And one of the reasons that can be a blessing to your life is because the church is a place of refuge. Now, somebody will say, well, preacher, I heard about somebody got hurt in church. Yeah, it happens. And no matter. And I and this listen, this is a this is a fear and a burden that I as a pastor live with every day of my life. And every God fearing pastor you've ever known has lived with this same fear and anxiety. That some wolf will come in and try to feast and pray on some sheep. And it does happen. It is sad. It is heartbreaking. But can I tell you something? You're a lot safer in the house of God than you are everywhere else. It's amazing. They never talk about all the kids abused in public schools by teachers. They don't talk about all the kids the Boy Scouts have abused. Uh, they don't talk about all the kids abused down at the community centers. Uh, they don't listen. They don't talk about all the kids abused by karate coaches and t-ball coaches and, and, and football coaches. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? Well, every time there's something happens, somebody gets hurt in the house of God, a godless world wants to take and use it to besmirch and to stain the testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, what do you think about that? Well, I think anybody that hurts a child, I think they'll, mm, I can't even say in polite company what ought to happen to them. I got no grace, I got no pity, I got I got no, only a just God could give them the punishment that they really deserve. But I'm going to tell you this tonight, being in the house of God is the safest place that you could be. See, but preacher, there's people get hurt, that's true, but none of it escapes the eyes of an almighty God. And even yet, let me say this, the safest place for your kids to grow up and to grow right is in the house of God. The safest place for your marriage is the house of God. The safest place for your peace of mind and your spiritual development is the house of God. And for every person that's been hurt throughout history in the house of God, you could point to thousands, millions more that have instead had their life vouchsafed 
because they stayed in church. The devil desires to consume and devour you. Where can I be safe, preacher? Well, the swallow, the swallow found a place and the sparrow found a place right there by the altar. I see the protection of the sanctuary, but then I think of the privilege of the sanctuary. I love how it says it. Did you notice it? Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Think about it. That little sparrow would get to live in the king's house. But then think about you and I, that we'd be privileged to have a part in this high holy work and to be faithful and to be present and have a place in the house of God. It's no small thing. We treat it like a small thing. But it's not a small thing to be a member of a New Testament church. It's not a small thing. It's a grave responsibility. But it's also a holy privilege that we'd be able to be numbered amongst the blood-washed and called a child of God. Oh, man, you say, preacher, I want a blessed life. Well, you're going to have to rely on the sanctuary. You're going to have to take refuge in the sanctuary. Preacher, my, my heart is hurting. Well, come up to the altar of God. And, I don't, and it can be in this place, but I don't mean this place. I mean the presence of God. Come to the Lord. Meet with Him. Pour your heart out to Him. And you'll find that He is a high tower we can run into. We can take refuge in the sanctuary. And finally, and I'm done tonight. I know you don't believe that, but it don't matter. Here we are. We come to our text, verse 4. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, say law. Preacher, I want a blessed life. I'm talking about a blessed life. I mean, so blessed, it, it, it make Jesse do planets, do a backflip. Preacher, I want a blessed life. I'm talking about blessed, 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 more blessed than Copeland could be blessed. How can I have a blessed life? I'm not, listen, I'm not promising you any Learjets. I'm not promising you the finest clothes. But I will tell you this. If you want a life blessed and favored by God, then gain some resilience from the sanctuary. I like verse 4. I do. I like it. I like how it says it. Blessed are they that visit his house. Nope. Is that what your Bible says? It's not. Not if you've got a King James Bible, it don't. Blessed are they that come on Easter, come on Christmas. Blessed are they that come when it's convenient. Blessed are they that come when they need help with something. Blessed are they that that arrive, that come into His presence with thanksgiving and into His his gates with with praise whenever uh, family's in town. Is that what it says? No. No. See, here's the problem. We want to show up to church once, twice a year and then wonder why our life is a wreck. We ain't done it right and God's done us wrong. We haven't done it right in the first place. I, no, nowhere does God say, you come by and visit my house and I'll make sure you ain't got no problems. It comes from this. I like how it says it. Blessed are they that what? Dwell in my house. I like that word dwell. I have a dwelling. I have a home. Well, the bank does. But they let me live there for now. till it all shakes apart. And we'll be out there trying to take pot shots, keep them off our property. Amen. But uh, I have a dwelling. I have a home. I have a place that I'll go to tonight. I don't go there to visit. Why? Because I dwell there. I don't go there occasionally. I go there every day. Why? Because I dwell there. It's not a passing, casual relationship. 
but it is a fixed and planted relationship that I have with that dwelling place. Well, here's what the Bible says. You want your life to be what God wants it to be. You want to be a blessed life. You're going to have to not just visit the house of God. You're going to have to dwell there. In other words, it's going to have to be a fixture in your life. I'll tell you this. The more you'll get in church, the more you'll get out of church. But the more you get out of church, the less you'll be in church. I can't tell you the numbers of people. My heart's burdened right even now. I, I Listen, I mean, there's people my heart's burdened for. They won't get in. They'll be around. But they won't get in. And then they wonder why they ain't happy. They wonder why they're miserable. They wonder why things are not going well. And it's no mystery. It's amazing. I'm about as ignorant a person as you'll meet. And sometimes people treat me like I'm some kind of social savant. Like I've been reading their mail. And I'm going to tell you something. This thing ain't that complicated, right? If you're half in, you're half out. And if you're half out, it won't be long. You'll be completely out. Life's moving fast enough. If you're only half in the truck, you're going to get slung out. And in your life, listen, if you want your life to be blessed, it's going to take more than a passing relationship with the house of God. It's going to take a persistent relationship. I like it. I see His determined dwelling. He's not just passing by. He's not just peeking in. But He is all in. He is dwelling in the house of God. And there's people, listen, what they need more than anything is just take both feet and plant them firmly in. And dwell in the house of God. But then there's a final thought I really like here. It says this, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, say law. I like that word still, don't you? I like it because of what's missing from it. If you use the word still, you are using that in juxtaposition to some terms or set of conditions under which something is persisting past it. Like, I'll give you, for instance, I would say, I'm still a UT fan. It's all right, some of y'all are still Florida State fans. Still Georgia fans. I'm still a UT fan, amen? In other words, in spite of some dark years we had, and occasional moments of depression and despondency, I've stayed in, and I'm still a fan. In fact, usually when we use that word still, it is in direct relation to something in opposition. And I love the use of the word still here in verse 4 because of what's missing. Say, preacher, what's missing? The opposition. Still? What do you mean still? Still after what? Still after anything. Still after what, preacher? Still, he said, preacher, they'll still be praising thee. Yeah, still, even after sickness, they'll still be praising. Even after loss, they'll still be praising. Even after poverty, they'll still be praising. Even after heartbreak, they'll still be praising. He said, preacher, still, I see his persevering praise here. It's an amazing thing to observe. I've seen people go through things that would have shattered me into a thousand pieces and come out the other side and lift a hand of praise and glorify the God of heaven. 
I've seen people do that. I've seen other people go through things that, to be honest, you passed long enough, I wouldn't have even noticed. Wouldn't have even been. I would have swatted away like a fly and seen it cripple and crumple them up like a ball of paper. Say, preacher, what's the difference? Usually the difference is how in the house of God they were. I love what the Bible says about Job and the life of Job. Job lived at a time when there was no tabernacle. There was no sanctuary. There was no Old Testament Levitical worship. But in whatever rudimentary form of worship had been passed down from Seth to Job, Job worshipped God and entered daily into his presence. And I love how you read through all of the book of Job and you come down to the end of it. And you know what the Bible says? I like this. The Bible says, now after this, Job lived. It goes on to describe all the blessings of God in his life. Can I tell you, there's an after this. There's an after this. So preacher, you don't know what's going on. No, but after this, if you'll stay faithful in the house of God, and if you'll keep serving Him, after this, you'll still be praising Him. Preacher, you don't know what I'm going to go through. No, you're right, I don't. But I know the God that's going to go through it with you. And I know this, if you'll stay faithful in the house of God after it's all said and done, after all of the, after the ground has quit shaking, after the smoke has finally cleared, you'll still be praising Him. See, if you'll stay faithful in the house of God, you won't lose your joy. You won't grow weak. You won't grow faint. There may be times that He weakens your strength, but His strength won't get weak. And no matter what you face, and no matter what it you encounter, say, preacher, but you don't know. No, but I know you'll still be praising. I like it when God leaves the blank there. <laughs> I like it when God... You know why? Because whatever He put there might not be what I go through. But I don't have to know what the psalmist was going through. I know whatever I go through, if I'll stay faithful in the house of God... See, preacher, who lasts? The people that stay in the house of God. Preacher, who sticks it out? The people that stay in the house of God. One One Sunday and one Wednesday at a time. I'm talking about one Sunday school at a time. They just keep their eyes on the Lord and they just keep going and they just keep faithful and they just keep serving and they just keep going on. They ain't got a plan for everything coming down the pike. They don't have an answer for everything that they might face and they don't need one. They just know what the next thing to do. Hey, Sunday morning, time to get up and go to Sunday school. Sunday night, time to get up and go to church. Wednesday night, time to get up and go to church. Revival, time to get up and go to church. Time to go soul winning, time to get up and go to church. Whatever it might be. And they just keep their eyes on the Lord and they just keep going and keep going and keep going. Those are the people that outlive and outlast. Those are the people that are still praising Him. After hell has thrown its fury at them, they're still praising Him. Why? Because they stayed in church. Preacher, I want a blessed life. Stay in church. You want a life that's in shambles? Get out of church. I could literally list you a name. I, I, I could give you a list. It would start from there and run all the way out into the parking lot of names of people whose lives are a mess today. And all started when they got out of church. It all started when they got out of church. You say, preacher, what does it take? What will it require? What must I do? you got to stay in church. But if you'll do, you'll be amazed what God can do with your life. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. Father, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. Lord, that you'd be glorified, that you'd be magnified, that you'd be pleased in everything that's said and everything that's done. God, you know the heart. 
you and you alone can do what needs to be done in us. I pray that you'd cut through. Do something eternal in us. Be pleased in what takes place. Lord, I love you. I ask it in Christ's name.